A couple of quick things as we get started. First of all, next weekend we go back to our regular fall schedule, which means our services are at 6 o'clock Saturday night, Sunday morning at 8.30, 10, and 11.45. But I need you to do me a favor. If you know people who go to the 11.30, used to go to the 11.30 service, don't tell them we moved it to 11.45. They don't show up to 11.45 anyway, and so if they keep thinking it's 11.30, they're going to be right on time. So if you could help me out in the conspiracy, that'd be great. Got to get people to church on time, all right? Glad that you're here this weekend, and uh, just going to open the Word of God and see what He has to say. God is working not only here, but in another location right now. Um, we have something called Mac Camp going on. It's under the leadership of Pastor Brian and Kyle and Chelsea, our whole middle school ministry. And there's about 150 of us down on the south side of, the lake, of Lake Whatcom right now. And I keep getting texts from my son, who's actually there. He's one of the leaders. And just keeps saying, God, you, wouldn't, Dad, Dad, you would not believe what God is doing here. And so we have something really cool, like a movement of the Spirit happening with our middle school ministry. And so today when you're out in the sunshine, if the Lord triggers it, you pray for them and their leaders because they're there all day today and all day tomorrow. So they've got a long way to go and some of them apparently haven't slept in several days, which is truly terrifying when I think about that. But yeah, middle schoolers without sleep is one thing. Middle school leaders without sleep, that's a really scary proposition right there. Well, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. And I want to welcome everybody here at our Bellingham campus. We want to welcome those of you who are watching online and at all of the campuses that this feed is going to find its way to at some point. I'm just glad that you are here and that we have an opportunity to share this journey. I want to start off by by explaining something. Over the next couple of weeks, what I'm going to be talking about is more of a story than it is a message and or a sermon. And so I want you to set your expectations accordingly because we're going to walk through some stuff together and and I'm going to bear my soul. Um, I try to do that every single week and try to be very honest and and transparent, but but maybe even more so in the next three or four weeks as we ramp up and and get ready for, uh, for the fall at this particular place. Years ago, I found myself making a statement out loud to God that I never, ever thought I'd hear come out of my mouth. I just never, ever thought I'd get to this place It was June the 22nd, 1999, approximately 11 a.m. in the morning. And I said this out loud to God. God, I don't like church. It doesn't work. I think you need to find another way to get this done because I just don't see it accomplishing what you wanted it to accomplish. In my humble estimation, the church is a failure. The reason I was in such a bad spot was because for the first time in my life, I actually found myself on the outside of the church looking in. I grew up in the church. I'd been a pastor for 10 years. I was a youth pastor. I worked with high school students and middle school students. I loved them to death. I'd served in two different church locations. And I was just out doing my thing, loving God and loving people. And then in what seemed like a blink of an eye, it was just gone. Suddenly, I was no longer a pastor And I didn't have a church to belong to. I had an identity crisis. I had a spiritual crisis. And I didn't know where I fit anymore. But I knew one place that I did not want to go to find a place. And that was church. I felt alone, excluded, judged, dirty, inconvenient. On the end, receiving end of some wicked gossip and the subject of just way too many conversations. So I think I did what a lot of people do when it comes to church. I just made the decision, I'm out. I'm out. I think some of you 
have had that experience as well. And the fact that you're here today is actually a miracle. Well, I want you to know you're in pretty good company, especially here at Christ the King. You had a bad church experience, so you just found a way out. How you found your way back is probably an amazing story. And maybe you were a lot like me. and Maybe you had this experience. You actually didn't have a problem with God. You just had a real big problem with his followers. You and God seemed to be getting along great. It was just this, this tribe that seemed to follow him around that you had an issue with at some level. That was me. I love Jesus. I just thought his plan to save the world was just one colossal mistake because he actually decided to use people. You know, I was in a place where the truth was I didn't like church, but in the core of my being there was a tension because I felt absolutely compelled and called to serve God's bride. That's the way the Bible describes it. He's the bridegroom and the church is the bride. So I had a choice. I could become a critic, isolated and angry and just talk about everything that was wrong with God's plan or I could refuse to become a part of the problem and stay engaged somehow and do my little piece of what I thought was the solution. So it came to a moment where I apologized to God for talking smack about his wife. And I repented and I did what I always do. When I don't know where else to go, I either run or I write. And I sat down and actually wrote out a list of what I thought church should be. Wrote it from the outside looking in. I wrote it with a broken and yet hopeful heart because no matter how much I denied it, I still felt and I still feel today with the burning conviction that you cannot convince me otherwise that the local church is the hope of the world and that there is no plan B. So I actually wrote out a list. I started with these words. I dreamed of a gathering of people. You notice I didn't put a place. Because I think that's where the church gets in a lot of trouble. Church is not a place. It's a people. I think the church got in real big trouble when it started assigning addresses. It's not a place. It's a people. I'll talk more about that next week. But I dreamed of a gathering. A gathering of people where the name of Jesus was used often without apology. I dreamed of a gathering where, where it was okay to not be okay but where it wasn't okay to stay not okay. I dreamed of, uh, of a gathering of people where the people who gathered cared more about somebody else's eternal need instead of their selfish likes or dislikes or wants. I dreamed of a gathering where the church existed more for the people they were trying to reach than the people they were trying to keep. I dreamed of a gathering where gossip wasn't normal. And where people actually read their Bible and said, well, if Jesus said don't do it, I'm just not going to do it. Agreed, dreamed of a gathering where there was no room for church politics because the people saw that as just a glorious waste of time. I dreamed of a gathering where the Bible was held up without apology as absolute truth in a very relative world. I dreamed of a gathering where people accepted Jesus, were baptized, and the transformation was so unbelievably obvious that it was undeniable. I dreamed of a gathering where people did life together in a way that wasn't weird, where you could actually have a real abiding friendship that lasted. I dreamed of a gathering where sin was sin and it was named and called out, but every time sin was called out, it was always done within the context of God's grace and His forgiveness and His mercy. 
I dreamed of a gathering where the impact of that gathering was actually felt in little tiny villages on the other side of the world where other people lived and thought everybody had forgot about them and nobody cared. I dreamed of a gathering where orphans and widows could find help in a home. I dreamed of a gathering where you could actually have an honest, hard conversation with somebody without the fear of being thrown away or abandoned. I dreamed of a gathering where the pastor got to be a person too. I dreamed of a gathering people got to be in the game, not just watch from the sidelines. And their approach to life was bold and fearless, and they lived as if their God was actually God. I dreamed of a gathering where failures were seen as as growth moments, and they weren't seen as fatal or final. I dreamed of a gathering where people believed the best of their leaders. And they just made an assumption that if the leader had to make a really, really hard decision that they hadn't made it just snap like that, but that they agonized over it and prayed over it and fasted over it and laid awake at night for hours asking God for his help and for his wisdom. I dreamed of a gathering where humility was normal and pride was distasteful and where regular people were empowered to dream big dreams and actually accomplish them. I dreamed of a gathering where the biggest question was not whether or not I liked the worship, but whether or not Jesus liked it. I dreamed of a gathering where people would walk out, not evaluating the music, but thinking to themselves, I wonder if Jesus smiled when I worshipped him today. I dreamed of a gathering where people actually believed that it was more blessed to give than to receive. So they just assumed they would give of their time, their talent, and their resources, not because they had to, but because they got to. I dreamed of a gathering where we could experience intimacy and impact in the same church. And I dreamed of a gathering where old stuff could be forgiven. And there was actually a dream and a hope that God had some new stuff for his people a long list and some people would look at my list and say that's just unrealistic and I thought it was unrealistic too until I stumbled across a group of people who actually lived and experienced everything that I just said they weren't perfect they were just people but they had something they captured something that was so simple and so intriguing that their community literally sat up at the edge of its seat and said we've got to become a part of this We have to. And people came by thousands to experience something that was just really, really simple. I don't know what you think about when you hear the word church, but I think it's probably a far cry from from what the very first group of people thought about when they thought church. 2,000 years ago, God birthed a movement. It was in an interesting time because back in the original day, 2,000 years ago, there were no Bibles like we've got. There were no banners. There were no bands. There were no buildings. There were no binders full of policies. There was just a group of about 120 people hiding in an upper room in Jerusalem saying, what in the world has happened in the last 90 days? Like, what in the world has gone on? We're following a guy named Jesus, and they take him, and they kill him, and then he's not dead. What in the world has just happened to us? Let me give you the historical lead up. All of the history of the first century church revolved around an itinerant Jewish rabbi named Jesus. Now the reality is in history, there were a lot of rabbis running around, Jesus, or running around the Middle East at this time making some crazy outrageous claims. But Jesus was different. 
Jesus actually said it and then backed it up. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus fulfilled every messianic prophecy the Old Testament scriptures had laid out. Jesus actually made the bold claim to be the Messiah that had been whispered about and dreamed about for centuries. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the ministry of Jesus. And if you read them, you find that Jesus does ministry for about three and a half years. He does miracles that testify to who he is. He teaches, he serves people, and he begins to gather a group of followers. At the end of the ministry, Jesus goes to Jerusalem, where he is crucified, where he is buried, and then where he is resurrected. Just so we all are very, very clear, that resurrection part, that's a really big deal, okay? That's a really, really big deal, because I know a lot of people who've died for a lot of really, really good causes, and you can go to their grave and check it out. You can't go to the grave of Jesus because he's not there. So when somebody comes back to life again, that's just a really big deal. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd sit up and take notice at that point. Without the resurrection part, Jesus was just another martyr who got swallowed up by the Roman Empire. But the Bible actually said he was crucified, he was buried, and then he rose again. And then over a period of 40 days, he appears to more than 500 witnesses. Can you imagine being in that group? More than 500 people. And at one point, Jesus rallies his followers and he gives them the great commission. This is how human beings and God are going to link up and touch every human being on the face of the planet. Matthew chapter 28 says this, starting in verse 19. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's what's cool about these 2,000-year-old instructions. They're still in play today. They still apply to everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. They're just as much for us today as they were for the first century church. Take a moment and break out the key elements of the Great Commission. It starts with this word, go, go. And literally, the word is active. You could actually read it this way, while you're going. So there's an assumption. While you're going, there's an assumption of movement for the followers of Jesus. We are not called to be stationary, but actually going. I heard it put it this way. I thought it was very profound. The church began as a movement, which means the movement is actually supposed to move, right? Because if a movement's not moving, it's not a movement. It's just an ant, right? Think about it. Come on now. You with me? Just a little bit, all right? Go. You're actually supposed to be moving. Go and do what? Make disciples. While you're going, Jesus said, multiply, grow, nurture. Nurture other people into a follower of Christ. I want you to notice something. If you happen to be here today and you're already a follower of Christ, I want you to notice something. It doesn't say your job is to merely be a disciple. It says you're supposed to make disciples. You're supposed to be constantly pouring yourself out and gathering people together. And it is my assertion, the very best way to be a disciple is to be actively involved in making disciples. If you want to get lit up, share your faith. If you want to learn how to pray, share your faith and then wait for the answers or questions that people start asking you. If you want to grow in your faith, open your mouth and start speaking. It's going to take your faith to an entirely new level. Go make disciples and then baptize. 
Take an active role in seeing people that, that are both saved and baptized. I mean, this is the lifeblood of any follower of Christ to see other people believe in Jesus and then to be obedient by taking that inner declaration and making it public. If you ever come to a baptismal service here at the Bellingham campus of Christ the King, you'll often see different people getting in and out of the tank with the people who are being baptized. Let me just tell you something. Those people are not just buddies. They're not just friends. The person that's in the tank there is either a mother or a father, or they're the person who led the baptizee to Jesus. They were the one who introduced them to their Savior and their King. And they're a part of that baptism because they started the introduction and it would just seem to make sense that they would be a part of that declaration as well. I believe every single person that calls Christ the King home should have as one of their life goals to get in that tank with somebody that you led to Jesus so that you can celebrate the transformation that's happening in their life. And if you get in, I'll hold your towel for you. Because that should be the goal. And finally, he says, teach. The command to teach is grounded in a foundation of obedience. This is what he says. Teach them to obey everything I commanded them. So teach them everything that Jesus ever taught about healing and justice and grace and mercy and the danger of religion and the beauty of relationship and the power of the Holy Spirit to come and the importance of your connection with your heavenly Father. Teach them that. Don't teach them your opinions about that. Teach them that. And then just watch what happens. They'll begin to participate in a movement. You know, if I was there in that particular moment, I would have been stoked. Because that's just kind of the person I am. You give me the marching orders. Here's the plan. Let's go. Let's not talk about it. Let's just go. Now, some of you would have had other reactions in this moment. Some of you would have asked seven clarifying questions about how this particular plan was actually going to work itself out. Some of you would have organized a committee to analyze the plan and make sure we had all of the appropriate steps. Some of you would have asked for the engineering specs on said plan so that you could be sure the foundation wasn't going to move, okay? Everybody would have had their different style, but it doesn't take the first word of the Great Commission off. While you're going, while you're going, while you're moving, while you're talking, while you're baptizing, while you're making disciples, any conversations you're going to have need to happen while this movement is continuing to move. So they actually go. Acts chapter 1 says they actually go and they take one step and Jesus says, oh, but just wait one second. Just wait. Not quite done with the instructions. Just wait just, just for a little bit. And in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4, this is what Jesus says next. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he says, go, hold on, just wait. Wait, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come because if you go out there without the Holy Spirit, you're going to be in deep weeds. See, here's how the story actually lays itself out. Jesus gives them the Great Commission, says you're going to be my witness, and then he leaves. Bye. I would have been freaking out in that moment. 
Like, no, 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 no. Let's rethink this. You're in charge. You're the miracle guy. You're the walk on water guy. You stay here. You just hang out with us because I'll feel a whole lot more secure if you're in this place. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. There's another one coming who will comfort you and convict you and walk with you and sustain you. The Holy Spirit is going to come and it's going to be awesome. So just stick with the plan. But for right now, I need you to wait and then you will receive power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay, I would have been good with that. I'm just thinking, that's what we need right now. We need superpowers, okay? If we're actually going to go on this mission, we're going to need superpowers. I would have chosen flying and invisibility just because I think they're cool, okay? It's not what he's talking about here, all right? He says, wait and you'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is actually going to come and he's going to walk with you as you do the mission that I told you to do. So there's a couple more blanks in your outline right there. He actually says, I want you to wait. Now, some of you are thinking right away, well, I like that word wait right there. Because that means I just kind of get to chill. I kind of get to hang out. But here's the deal. Okay, 21st century church, I'm talking to every single one of you. You need not wait anymore because the Holy Spirit is already here. Okay? You don't need to wait for anything. What was stirring deep inside of you as we worshiped God together in this place, that was the Holy Spirit speaking to you, encouraging you, touching you in the deepest part of your soul. And we don't need to wait for him because he's already here. Been here all morning. He'll be here all afternoon. He's going to follow you home. I mean, it's going to be just awesome. He's already here. So that means this. If he's already here and we don't have to wait, it means this. We no longer get to say, well, I'm just going to wait for a good opportunity to share Jesus with my neighbor. That's not in play anymore. Well, I'm just waiting for the right moment to get baptized. Get in the tank, right? I'm just waiting until my friend asks me a question. In the meantime, I'm just going to walk the walk. While you're going, it's time for the church of Jesus to stop just walking the walk. It's time for us to actually talk the talk. He says, wait, Holy Spirit comes, go kicks back in again, and while they're going, they're receiving the Holy Spirit. That's the next blank there. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. Don't have time to unpack it right now, but you're going to wait, receive the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to be empowered to do something. You're going to be empowered to witness, to testify, to testify to the life-changing power that comes from knowing Jesus and following him as a disciple. Just so we're clear again, Witnesses actually testify, and when you testify, you speak of something that you absolutely know and are convinced of. They don't sit mute. They testify. So here's what Jesus says to them. Okay, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And I can see them going, okay, Jerusalem. At that time in history, about 60,000 people. Not that much different from where the Bellingham campus happens to be. About 60,000. I can see them going, okay, there's 120 of us, 60,000. 60,000 divided by 120, it's about five, yeah. Yeah, okay, I think we can take that one, God. I think we can handle Jerusalem. Then he goes, ah, but one, one more step, Judea. Oh, okay, that's kind of like a province or maybe even a state kind of wound in there. Okay, yeah, 120 of us, All, the whole county, the whole province. Okay, well, big faith. 
We've seen you do incredible things, so we're going to kind of go to the next level. And then he says, and then you're going to have to go to Samaria. They would have gone, oh, really? Samaria? Nah. In this culture and context, it just didn't go to Samaria. You just didn't. It's kind of like being from Washington and having God send you to Tacoma, okay? Don't write me nasty ladders, okay? All right, all right? I'll add something else. If you, like, if you grew up in Canada, it'd be like being sent to northern Saskatchewan. It's like, do I have to? Yes, you do. Okay, I'm going, all right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then he goes, but wait, there's more. I want you to take this thing global. But God, there's only 120 of us. Yeah, I know. Global. Every village, every hamlet, every neglected street, every corner, every place, every country, every continent, we're going to take this thing global because a movement has to move. Okay, here's what's amazing to me. From Israel, where they were, just about everywhere is the uttermost parts of the earth. This is what is amazing to me. Because the movement is still moving, these guys actually did what God asked them to do. In fact, I can say this with absolute conviction. The fact that you are here today or listening to this or watching this, the fact that you are even in this conversation is because this group of people that started off as a movement actually moved. We are their legacy. Here's our question. What legacy are we going to leave as well? We're still talking about them 2,000 years later. Are they going to be talking about us in two years? How about 20 Obviously, what's beautiful about the first century church is the message did not end with them. It just kept going and going and going and going. Will we do the same? So as I get ready to close, let, let's just take a quick moment. I'm just going to recapture some simple truth, okay? You've heard all of them already, but I want to say them again. So it's like that's the nail, and I just keep hitting it on the head. Simple truth number one, the church began as a movement. A movement that's centered on a plan to reconcile God and his people. A gathering of people who were called to the mission of spreading a sacred message that Jesus wanted spread to every corner of every country. It's not a place. It's not an organization. It's a movement. A gathering of people who only care about going and making disciples and baptizing teaching. That's what we do if we're a church. Simple truth number two, we are the result of the original church actually moving. I had a very sobering moment as I'm doing my study for this series because I'm reading Acts chapter one and then I move into the next couple of chapters which I'm going to be preaching about in the next couple of weeks and I begin to see that these guys had a crazy habit of going out and getting beat up all the time. And every time they got beat up, they didn't pray that Jesus would give them a helmet. They prayed that Jesus would give them more boldness. And I had to ask myself a very simple question. If I was in the first 120, I wonder if I ever would have made it out of the upper room. I wonder if my fear would have kept me locked in and just said, you know, the other 119 of you are going to have to do that. I, I'm gonna, I'll be the prayer guy. And I'll pray for you while you're going. But I'm staying right here because I have an aversion to getting beat up. 
They actually moved. And we're still talking about them. And we're still talking about him. Him. Here's the last one. We're still called to move because movements move. After I told God that I thought he should rethink his plan to evangelize the world, this is what he did. He listened to me. He understood the deep wound of pain and where all that stuff was coming from. And then he invited me into a very, very interesting time in my life. I actually left the ministry of the local church and I went to work doing construction. That did not go well for me, but it gave me a long list of sermon illustrations that I have used and will continue to use for a long period of time. I'm so glad some of you can build some stuff. That's so cool. I can't. I don't have a clue, all right? During the process of working and not knowing what else to do, I actually interviewed at a couple of churches because I honestly didn't know what else I should do. It's the only thing that I knew to do. I actually went up to a place called Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, and, and I was interviewed up there by Lethbridge Evangelical Free Church. The, the professor at school who taught me how to preach, Dr. Ian Lawson, was the senior pastor. and He wanted me to come, and, and I went up there for the weekend, and I just basically had a nice nice little spiritual meltdown in my own little corner. I cried through the whole weekend. I know that totally surprises some of you and shocks some of you, but um, I cried through the whole shot. And I thought to myself, I just can't drag my baggage into this place. Came back, continued to work construction, actually was interviewed at a church here in Bellingham, Washington that I care and love very, 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 very much, a place called Cornwall. I was actually offered the position as their youth pastor, but God wouldn't let me do it. And now Pastor Bob Marvel and I sit down and we drink coffee and every once in a while we just look at each other and smile and go, can can you believe this? (laughs) What were we thinking? What was God thinking? It's pretty amazing. During that particular time, I got invited by a guy named Rick who actually took his job of testifying about Jesus very, very seriously. And he invited me to a church, a place called Christ the King Community Church. And I remember my response. (laughs) I'm not going to Walmart church. Why would I go to Walmart church? Inch deep, mile wide, people don't even carry their Bibles. They've got to put it up on screens because nobody knows, you know, even, even where to find it in that whole thing. And, and I mean, music's too loud, and it's this and it's that. I'd never walk through the doors of the place, but I knew lots about it. I'm not going there. I can honestly say I came to Christ the King the first weekend to get Rick off my back. And I can take you to the place, in the old meeting place, the very geographic spot where God wrecked me. Because a guy named Rick bounced across the stage and sang. A guy named Steve sat on a stool and talked about forgiveness for the past, hope for the future. He talked about a group of people who didn't come to a location, but every week would go on a mission to reach every lost person in their Jerusalem. And as much as I didn't want to, I fell in love with the church all over again. 
But the next couple of weeks, I want to go and get back to that. I want to dare to ask the question whether or not it can actually be as simple as loving God and loving each other. I'd love to go back in history 2,000 years and actually look at a movement of people who actually did what God told them to do and lit up their entire region. So much so that 2,000 years later, a whole bunch of people are still gathering and talking about the same stuff they were talking about. I want to ask together as a church whether or not we can just kind of strip away a whole bunch of stuff and get back to this very, very simple thing that basically just says, Jesus, people. Because I believe maybe it's just that simple. Jesus, people. That's all I got. Let's pray. Father God, would you step into this moment right now and would you make us so unbelievably aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit right now in this place? For those who do need forgiveness for the past, God, I pray that they would know that that's so much what your heart is for them. For those who need hope for the future, God, I pray that they would understand that the only hope for the world is Jesus that that's the message his followers have, at least the one that matters. So God, as we kind of strip away some stuff and ask what it would be like if this just got really, really simple again, I pray that you would come and give us courage and wisdom and discernment and hope and help. Because I believe, you still believe, the hope of the world is found in Jesus and his followers who would dare to call themselves the church. I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name and all the beat up, tired, but hopeful followers of Jesus Christ agreed together with all of their heart and said, Amen. Amen. Amen.